Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. It is such an honour to be with my Mariner's Church family this weekend. Now, especially since I just celebrated my 55th birthday just a couple of weeks ago. So every one of you, whether you know it or not, you are celebrating my birthday with me. You know, as my birthday came around, I was thinking it was exactly this time of the year, 22 years ago, that I got a phone call from my brother, George. It was two weeks before my 33rd birthday. And, you know, from the tone of his voice, I could tell that he was so distressed. And he began to tell me, Chris, I just got a letter from the Department of Community Services, and that's a department there in Sydney, Australia, informing him that he had been adopted. Now, I could tell you exactly where I was. I was in a food court in the northern suburbs of Sydney, Australia. I was eating beef vindaloo and everything changed in that moment. I, I was literally so stunned. And I said to him on the phone, I said, George, they must have made a mistake You know, you need to call them back, tell them that somehow they sent this letter to the wrong person. Now, about 15 minutes later, he called me back again, but this time he was sobbing. And he said, Chris, it's it's true. They told me the name of my biological mother, my biological father. They told me where I was born, when I went to school. They have literally an entire file on my life. Now, as you can imagine, this was shocking news and it was a, a secret that our family had kept from us for for over 35 years. Now, my brother said that he was going to go to my mum's place to find out what happened. My dad had died when I was 19 and I was so concerned that, you know, this would trigger something in my mum. Greeks are very volatile. If you know anything about us, we act first and think later. And I'm thinking this could spiral right out of control. So I jumped into my car and I headed to my mum's place. I got there just at the moment that my brother was giving my mother this piece of paper from the government and I literally saw my mum's face totally change. And um, the tears just started to pour from her eyes. And she said, George, I am so sorry. All of the adoption laws, they they were different 35 years ago. They were all closed adoptions in Australia and we never thought that you would find out. In fact, one of The very last things that I promised your father, she said, just before he died is that I would never tell you. And so I tore up all of the paperwork. And um, as you can imagine, church, this this was a very, very intense moment in the the Karyophilus household. Yeah, my brother was crying. my, My mother was crying. Like the dog was crying. Everyone was crying. So I did what any good Greek daughter would do in that moment. I, I went to the kitchen. I thought, I'm going to make some baklava. I'm going to make some moussaka. I'm going to make some coffee because the answer for all of life's issues for a Greek is food. Food answers life, the universe and everything. So about 10 minutes later, my mum walked into the kitchen and in Greek, because Greek is my first language, in Greek, she said, Christina, since we are telling the truth today, do you want to know the whole truth? Now I turned to her and I said, I've been adopted too. And she just nodded her head with with tears streaming down her face. And we just literally stared at each other. You know, I 
I didn't say anything for a few minutes. I was so stunned. And, and you got to know, me not saying something is, is a miracle almost greater than the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, me just to be silent. And then the first thing that I said, the, well, the very first thing that came out of my mouth, I went, am I still Greek? And you know, that was the day, church, that I found out I was not who I thought I was. You know, it's a shocking thing to have your identity rocked at such a deep level when you're in your 30s, to find out that your parents and siblings are not your actual biological family and you thought that for 33 years of your life and to realise that you had been lied to about your identity for your entire life. Now, obviously, this can have a, a devastating impact on people and it could have been much worse than it was for me if I did not have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ and His Word, if I had not known who God had said that I was, I literally would have been derailed by finding out who I was not. It's one huge reason why I believe that this series is one of the most important that we could ever do at Mariners. I personally understand the importance of knowing what our identity is in Christ. You see, when you know who you are, why you are here and what you are called to do on this earth, you can more effectively navigate the inevitable challenges, the hurdles, the suffering, the storms and the disappointments of life. The timing of this series in particular is so important because it seems as though our world is in the midst, literally, of some kind of existential identity crisis. So much of the chaos and the confusion and the anger, the divisiveness, the strife and and the malice and the anxiety that we see predominantly online is, is because the stress in the world is causing people to have such an identity crisis. So much of people's identities have been wrapped up in what they've achieved, what they own, who they know, what they do, their social or political or leisure affiliations, the school that they attended or the club perhaps that they founded. And then almost overnight, the whole world shut down. The rules across the planet changed and no one really, really knows what the future looks like. You see, not one of us can any longer look at the things that we once clung to for our identity, for our significance or our security, because Not all of those things exist in today's world. So many of us watching this today are wondering, who who am I? And what am I here for in these days? And the passage that we're focusing on in 1 Peter speaks to us particularly in these times. I'm going to reiterate this in 1 Peter chapter 9, verses 2 to 12. I love this portion of Scripture. It says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, let me just tell you, as a girl that found out at 33, that she was adopted, that her whole origin wasn't what she thought that it was. It was important for me to know 
who I was in Christ. I don't want to minimize that. Some of you are, are watching this and you, you can't even get on with my message right now because you're thinking, this girl just told us she found out that she was adopted and she was in her 30s. And how is she even speaking to us today? You got to listen to the rest of the message because I'm going to let you know how knowing who I was in Christ enabled me to not unravel by finding out who I was not. This is why this is so important. Let's just recap here about the text right now. We we know that Peter is writing to scattered, marginalized and persecuted, predominantly Gentile Christians in in that whole Asia minor region. Now, these believers were, were suffering greatly in these days. And the purpose of this letter is to encourage them to stand fast by remembering that they are God's people on God's mission for God's glory. That is gonna take you a long way. When you remember that you are God's people on God's mission for God's glory, you're gonna be able to overcome a lot of the obstacles and hurdles and challenges and confusion in the world today. These people in the midst of distress and pressure were being reminded you are God's people on God's mission for God's glory. So this letter is an encouragement for every single one of us today. You know, numerous studies over over the past few decades have shown that the way we see ourselves determines to a very large degree how we act and how we react in life. You know, in the midst of COVID and lockdowns and hurricanes and fires and storms and political instability and wars around the world and famines and economic fluctuations and racial injustice and loss and grief and profound, profound moral and social changes, we need to know our identity as Christians so that we can know how to act and live in this world because this is the world that God has sent us to. He didn't make a mistake. We were His plan for this moment and this hour on the earth. So I wanna remind every single one of us today that the greatest threat to the church and to all of us individually, it actually doesn't come from external circumstances but it comes when we forget who we are. And in this text, Peter is reminding us who we are as a body collectively. You know, we've looked at what it is to be a chosen race. Pastor Eric told us what it is to be a royal priesthood. And today we're gonna focus on what it means to be a holy nation. Now, you know, when we hear phrases like holy nation, if you're anything like me, it can sound a little strange. And, and if we are really honest, even those of us that have grown up in church, we're often unsure, what does that even really mean? Now, if you've got a Greek Orthodox background like me or some kind of other religious background, we hear the word holy. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking of a monk or a nun that's living on a mountain, praying for 10 hours a day, or, you know, some perfect person that never does or even thinks anything that's wrong. Now, To be honest with you, I'm literally probably the last person I think of when I think of the kind of people that might make up a holy nation. And you probably don't think you're kind of really that holy either. So that is because every one of us, we're so aware of our our faults and our failings and that we can feel entirely disconnected from the truth that Peter declares about us in this text because we know our own lives and we think, you know what? I'm anything but that. It's, it's easy to switch off or to simply just move straight past this phrase. But you know what we're going to do today? Today, we're going to unpack 
how much of an important part of our identity this actually is. And if we get it, it can literally change everything. Now, to understand what it means to be a holy nation, we literally have to go back to the Old Testament because what we're going to read in Leviticus is that the Lord said that He set Israel apart as His holy people. He tells the Israelites, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart to the nations to be mine. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, we read, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be His own possession out of all of the people on the face of the earth. That's huge to me. Out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth. And in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 18 to 19, the Scripture says, And today the Lord has affirmed that you are His own possession, as He has promised you, that you are to keep all His commands, that He will elevate you to praise, fame and glory above all the nations He has made and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as He promised. Now, from these verses in Scripture, we can see that God set the nation of Israel apart as His holy people and He promised to be faithful to them. And His people were commanded similarly to consecrate themselves to the Lord and to serve the Lord alone. Now, unfortunately, we see this repeatedly throughout Scripture. Israel frequently broke their vows and that they were unfaithful to God serving other gods and pursuing their own carnal pleasures. But God always remained faithful to them. You know what? He never, ever broke His promise to Israel. In fact, throughout the biblical narrative, we see that God has pursued His people with a relentless passion. His faithfulness to each and every one of us, it never, ever ends. In the book of Hosea, we, we read a pow- the powerful story of how Hosea, the prophet, was betrayed by his wife, Goma, when she was unfaithful to him. And she actually went back to a, a life of prostitution. Now imagine being a groom and your bride does that. But although Hosea felt betrayed, he continued to love her. He continued to pursue her. And you know, God uses this metaphor of a bride and a bridegroom to explain exactly how he felt betrayed by Israel's infidelity. Like a bridegroom that was scorned by his bride, his heart ached. And yet God was always willing to forgive and to welcome his people back to him. Now, this metaphor of a bride and a bridegroom was also used by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61 verse 10. What it says is, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know, we we see from this verse that not only does God clothe us in fresh garments of salvation and robes of righteousness, He calls us His bride and He is our bridegroom. Now, Listen, I don't want you guys to switch off right now. Some of you are hearing all of this talk about bride and bridegroom and you're getting a little bit nervous. And, you know, even some women, you know, you're you're hearing this conversation and you had certain hopes when you became a bride and 
Those hopes were shattered somewhere down the track in the reality of your marriage and single people who would love to be married. And, you know, me even talking about brides and bridegrooms and weddings makes you want to stop listening today. But I'm asking you, bear with me for just a few moments, because I think all of us are going to benefit from knowing what it truly means to be the bride of Christ and to discover how adored we are by God. You see, when we discover that our identity is actually in our chosenness, our belovedness, and in the way that we're cherished by God like a groom who's only got eyes for his bride, it will change everything. You know, on on March the 30th, 1996, Nick and I were married uh, in Sydney, Australia. And, you know, don't laugh at our outfits. It was very in, in 1996. And some of you were not even born then, I know, but just bear with us. Now, you also notice that Nick had slightly more hair and darker back then. But it was, it was a special day for us, as it is for most couples on their wedding day. We had lots of Greek food, make no mistake. We had lots of Greek dancing. And we were surrounded by friends and family. Nick is, you know, one of 15 children. So you can imagine how many friends and family were there. So although our actual wedding day was fun, we, we definitely had a really rocky road getting to that day. And that was mostly because of me and how broken I still was on the inside when we met. It was so hard for me to trust any man. And that's because I, I came from a background of abuse and, and rejection and marginalization. And I truly made Nick work really, really hard to earn my trust. I'm not quite sure any other guy on the earth would have persevered like Nick did, but my husband's amazing. Anyway, well, while we were still dating, there came a time where it was obvious that our relationship was getting more serious. And if we were going to move forward and, and keep going in the direction it was headed, I was going to have to be totally transparent and vulnerable with Nick and, and tell him about all of the brokenness in my past. You know, I was terrified to really let him into those places because I, I would have to tell him not only the traumatic things that had happened to me as a, as a child, but also when I was older, I had made some poor relational choices of my own volition. And I felt that if I let him into those parts of my life, he would walk away. I mean, who would want to marry me after where I'd been and after what I'd done? And, you know, there was this one day I finally got the courage to tell him and we were walking along Sydney's iconic Bondi Beach. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's stunning. And it was a Saturday afternoon. I did not know how he was going to respond. And I was, you know, staring out at the ocean as I told him. And um, when I turned to look at him after I'd finished, just I just vomited all right out there and just told him everything. I looked at him and um, he had tears just streaming down his face. And uh, I'll never forget it. He, he just said, Chris, I'm so sorry. All of those hurtful things happened to you. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. And I'm so sorry that the pain of your childhood caused you to make poor choices somewhere down the track. I'm just so sorry for all that you've been through. I only wish that I'd been there to protect you from, from all of that suffering. And, you know, knowing all of this about you simply makes me love you more, Chris. And it makes me want to be the best husband to you, to love you and to protect you and to cherish you and to honour you forever. 
And then he said, thank you for trusting me with the deepest parts of you. Well, you know, <laughs> needless to say, um, I was a mess and uh, experienced more healing in that moment than, than in so many years previously to that. Nick's love in that moment, his, his grace in that moment, the mercy and the kindness that he extended to me helped to heal a, a very deeply wounded part of my soul. You know, God was working through Nick to heal something in me. And I'm telling you this story today to give you a a very imperfect picture of how God feels about you. So often we think that our unholiness, our behaviours of our past, our mistakes, our failures, that they disqualify us from being included in what God calls a holy nation. We think that we could not possibly be adored by God after everything that we've done or thought or said in our lives. But I want you to know today that the holiness we have is is actually not even from ourselves. This is why we're all included in this. We have been clothed, not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of Christ. See, this is gonna free us up. None of us could make ourselves holy. We we didn't do it. We couldn't do it. Jesus Christ Himself did it for each and every one of us. We have been made holy by the precious blood of Jesus. You know, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If there's any verses I've got memorized, it's this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Scripture says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that, there's a so that, so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Is there a better promise in Scripture than this one? The blood of Jesus has washed us clean. In the eyes of God, we are no longer stained. We are no longer blemished. We are made clean. I don't know if that just means a whole lot more to me because of my past, but this promise has saved my life. You know, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, we don't have a righteousness of our own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So church, because of Jesus, we have been set free from the penalty of sin, We are right now being set free from the power of sin. And to God be the glory, we will one day be set free from the presence of sin in our lives. I don't know about you, but this makes me want to run laps. When I first discovered the truth that I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I I wrote it down on sticky notes and I stuck it up on my mirror and I stuck it on on the dashboard of my car and wherever I went, I stuck that Scripture up. Why? Because I was so stuck in my guilt. I was so stuck in my shame and condemnation because of my past. And you know what? I, I, I kept acting in ways that reflected how I saw myself. Some of you are wondering, why do I continue to repeat this pattern of destructive behaviour? Why do I cycle in and out of pits of despair and go back to things that I once walked away from? Often we're going to act out of the ways that we see ourselves. So until we change the way we see ourselves, nothing changes. 
See, I had to work so hard to renew my mind. I, I would literally walk around my house and walk around outside saying about 50 times a day, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not what happened to me. I am not the mistakes I made. I am not what others say about me. I am who God says I am. And you know, at the beginning, I never believed it. I had not been able to internalise it because there was such a disparity between how I felt because of my past and the words that were coming out of my mouth. But you know, as I continued to declare the truth of God's Word, eventually I began to internalise this truth and I started to act out of my new identity and not my old one. And I truly believe that if I did not understand this fundamental truth, I would still in many areas of my life, I would be crippled by shame. I would be crippled by guilt and condemnation. And I would never ever truly feel worthy enough for God. I would not be the wife that I am to Nick today. I wouldn't be the mother that I am to Catherine and to Sophia. You know, there would definitely be no A21 around the world Because how could I help to rescue people from their bondage and their slavery if I was still stuck in my own prison of shame and guilt and condemnation? I want to remind you today that in the Old Testament, God, God made a covenant with Israel. But through Jesus Christ, He formed a new covenant with everyone who believes in Jesus and trusts in Jesus as Lord. That's us, the church. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, we read about the relationship between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, His bride. And the Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I can't tell you how often, I just quote that little bit to Nick, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the Word. He did this to present the church to Himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. You know, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross church, we are now presented to God holy and blameless. It's not anything that we have done It's because of what Jesus did. Thanks be to God. This is what can help us understand this concept. Jesus did it, not us. You know, on on our wedding day, I made this vow to Nick. I said this and don't laugh at my name, but you know, I had a very big Greek name. If you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, That is my big fat Greek life. So that's how I grew up. Parthenon columns in my front yard, a lot of concrete in my backyard and lots of loud talking and baklava. Yes, that was my life. But these are the vows that I made to Nick. I said, I, Christine Karyophilus, because I know God has called us to be joined together and because I love you, will gladly become your wife. Before God and in the company of these people, I promise to be a faithful wife, to comfort, respect, honour and cherish you in sickness and in health till death do us part. Now I'm pretty impressed that I even remembered those vows. Now I made a, a decision on that day to be set apart as Nick's wife. I chose to forsake all others 
and remain faithful to Nick Cain alone as my husband. Now, in the same way, all of us who are in Christ, male and female, are a people who have been set apart for God's purpose and God's plan. So nothing or no one should come between us and our faithfulness to God. As the bride of Christ, we are holy in that we are set apart to be faithful, to be loyal and to be committed to the Lord above all others. As the people of God, His church, we are a new nation. And what marks this new nation, it's it's not language or ethnicity, but it's holiness. And that is our set-apartness. We are God's bride set apart to Him and for Him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we read, For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. We Jesus followers are called to be categorically and qualitatively different from this world. We are saved exclusively to God and should therefore be set apart from the world in things like like our ambitions, our, our actions and our affections. We should be different because we live for God and we're not living for ourselves. We should do what God does. We should love what God loves and we should hate according to the scripture what God hates. You see, when you and I are set apart in this world, we have got the potential to reflect something of the character of God. Holy is belonging to God and being different. We live differently because we belong to Jesus. Now church, I don't stay faithful to Nick because I have to, but because I want to. I'm loved and cherished by him and my response is love and fidelity to him. So in the same way, our obedience to Christ doesn't stem from legalism or obligation, but out of a place of love and gratitude. You know, when the Lord looks at us, church, He sees a beautiful bride and He cherishes that bride. He literally sees you and I as drop-dead gorgeous. As I walked up the aisle on my wedding day. Now, yes, I pulled out my wedding dress. And I want you all to know that I actually still fit into this dress. And I did want to put it on, but I just then thought that maybe that's not really a good thing to do because it would distract from the actual message. So that's the only reason I'm not wearing it. But when I was walking down the aisle on my wedding day, tears were were streaming down Nick's cheeks. And you know, well, probably that's because he's never seen me so dressed up before or since that day. But anyway, as I was walking up that aisle, How do you think Nick would have felt if someone decided to throw paint at my dress or or someone chose to throw mud at my dress or or yell out, oh man, she's ugly. Is that the best you could do, Nick? Imagine if they were just mocking and ridiculing me, the bride, walking up that aisle. Now, every single one of us would think that's entirely inappropriate. Every single one of us would get defensive and would jump to the defence of the bride and take the person out. Now, the issue is, I wonder how God feels when we mock or slander or gossip about or ridicule or discard His bride. You see, when Jesus looks at us with all of our flaws, 
He sees a beautiful bride that's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I wonder when when you look in the mirror, do you see what Jesus sees? Or, Or do you see your own flaws or your own failings or your own mistakes or shortcomings or shame or guilt or condemnation? You see, we're not wearing our own righteousness. We have been clothed in Christ's righteousness and we are part of that holy nation. So church, let's decide to be a people who love His church like He loves His church. We are the bride of Christ. You know, I hear so many people make so many comments about the church of Jesus Christ. And yes, we're flawed. And yes, we're imperfect. And yes, there are many areas that we can get better in. And some of you might be watching this and be thinking, you know, Chris, I've experienced some church hurt or I haven't had the best experience. I I am sorry that the church is made up of flawed people because it's made up of you and me. And if we went to any perfect church in the world, that, that church would stop being perfect because we would join that church. So as we stumble forward in our flawed humanity together as a church, let's choose to be rooted and grounded in our bridegroom, Jesus. And let's be a people that love the house of God, that love the church of God, that together are building what He is building. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. Let's remember who we are in Christ. Let's rise up to our stature in Christ and let us reflect the glory of God on this earth by being the holy nation that we are. All right, extend your hands, please. And let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.